Hello, uh, welcome to Teach the Word. Um, this is a sermon series on First Peter. This is the second in the series, um, and our text is uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the life that you give us, and we cry out to you, Lord God, that your word would be uh, living and active in our lives like a seed that grows, and that it would change us. Open your word to us, we pray. Amen. So let's begin by reading the passage. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe before we read through the rest of the passage, let's just review verses 1 through 12. Um, you know, he's writing, it's Peter, he's writing to believers in Turkey, uh, that's possibly as a Jewish audience because of the introduction, is writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Um, God has given us as the church, the audience, and us by extension as we read it, uh, salvation in the future. And right now our relationship with him is protected through faith um, in the midst of all kinds of suffering here on earth. We have this uh, protection and salvation. And because of that, we have the therefore. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So <clears throat> that's the text, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 2, 3. And you see, it is largely just two two sections of two large main divisions one about holiness and the one about the word um, so let's back up to uh, verse 13 and uh, begin uh, <clears throat> you notice that uh, holy uh, the word holy is used uh, what four times in this passage and uh, a verb purified uh, is the verb form the root is holy is also used so you got five times in that section on holy um also uh holiness so let's let's just go into holiness 
um, verse 13, you have this mental exercise, gird up the loins of your mind. So what is girding up the loins? That's uh, if you were wearing uh, a dress, a mid Middle Eastern garb is, uh, you know, it goes down to your ankles. And so it's real, very hard to do physical exercise. It's hard to run. If you're going to do something physical, you have to wrap it kind of around your thighs and tuck it into your belt. That's girding up your loins. But this is metaphorical. Girding up the loins of your minds is getting ready for mental exercise. So be be mentally exerting yourself. Um, uh, gird up the loins of your minds and, and f diligent in your mind to have that one focus of salvation in Christ, the grace that is to be brought to us. Resting our hope fully on Christ and on nothing else, not on, on uh, ourselves, not on anything. Um, so if you look then in verse 14, you have uh, the f not living like we once lived when our minds were not, we were not enter exercising our minds, uh, we were not engaging in this exercise of the mind, mental exercise. Our loins weren't girded up. We were instead uh, just living in our former lusts. Um, so we're not setting our minds on what we used to, but we're now setting our minds on new things. Um, and that is being holy. So if you look in verses uh, 15 and 16, you have, Be holy, uh, for I am holy. And the quote is from Leviticus. That's the be holy command that Peter's giving is, is just a reiteration of the Mosaic law. It comes up several times in Leviticus. Um, if we were to look at uh, Leviticus 11, at the end of Leviticus 11, you have... Um, it in the section on the food laws. Uh, so like uh, Leviticus, the very end of Leviticus 11 talks about uh, how, uh, so I want to go to the end of 11. He says, uh, 44 says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defy yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So he gives this whole section on what to eat, and he says, be holy. Uh, for the, what reason? Because I am the Lord your God. I am holy. I'm giving you these food laws so that you can be holy. Um also comes up, the command comes up in Leviticus 19, where he's talking about, and 20. 19 and 20 are all kinds of miscellaneous laws, but uh, one example there is he's talking about the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath, not working on the seventh day. Uh, that's the beginning of Leviticus uh, 19. Um, and uh, all kinds of stuff. If you look, let's look at 1919, 19, just to give a flavor for this be holy, for I am holy. And what he's, what he's talking about in the Mosaic Law. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. you got this idea of mixing uh, being having to do with holiness. And in a sense, that is uh, how it is in Hebrew and Greek. The, uh, in both Hebrew and in Greek, the word for holy uh, has, a, has a counterpart uh, verb, which we don't have in English. We don't have a, in English, holy is just a noun, an adjective. But in, in Greek and Hebrew, that the word holy has more than one verb and noun that are formed with that root. Um, and uh, the noun, we get holy and holiness, sanctification. And the verb is sanctify or consecrate, 
set apart. That's how we translate it into English. Um, and it kind of gives us the flavor of uh, what holiness means. It's It has a lot to being uh, sanctifying or setting apart, making different, you know, making you eat certain kinds of foods, making you not work on a certain day so that you are different than all the other peoples of the earth, or making it so that your clothes are separated so that you don't have two different kinds of cloth, or your flock is separated, separated out, different. Uh, that's, that's kind of the idea. Um, it, but it's not just like making it different. Um, it's God's purpose for the nation of Israel with things like their food and their Sabbath. Uh, they're basically physical symbols of their otherness, that they were different than all the other nations of the earth. It's not that they were just different. It's that they were set apart to God. So they're different towards God. That was the idea. Not just that they're weird. It's that they're different than everyone else because they're set away from them and oriented towards the Lord their God. And that's basically how it is for the church. Otherness is God's purpose for his people now, the church. Um, let's look at uh, Titus uh, 2. I believe it's Titus 2.12. Where he's saying, uh, he's talking about, pa Paul's talking about, well, it's 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation, this is Titus 2, 11, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us uh, so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. There you have this idea of God setting us apart from the world for himself. That's the church. Um, and that's that. it really is a definite, the, the orientation is important. It's not just that we're different. We are a peculiar people, a, his own special people. We are zealous for good works. That's what his intention for the church today, much like his intention for the nation of Israel, was to be different, to point to him. The church is to be different, to point to him, to be holy point to Christ um, but um, it's it's the orientation really is a is a key piece of it because otherwise you just end up with you know weirdness you're you're just weird rather than you are holy which is being different with an orientation towards God you're separated from the world toward God rather than just being separated uh, let's look at Romans 6, uh, towards the end of the chapter, verse 22, 23. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, our, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're oriented away from our former lusts, the sin, towards God, having become slaves to God. And the fruit of that is holiness being set apart, being different. Um, in the history of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, uh, it was originally two groups. It was the Christian Alliance and the Missionary Alliance, and then they joined uh, at one point. But the Missionary Alliance was obviously focused on missionary activity, but the Christian Alliance was focused on holiness, on uh, living a uh, sanctified life, sanctified sanctification. Um, and uh, the founder of the the Christian Alliance was A.B. Simpson, and uh, <clears throat> in the 1890, he wrote in his book, uh, Holy Sanctified, 
uh, the following passage that I'm going to read. Uh, Have we learned to withdraw our attention and perception from all that is unholy and to refuse to see forbidden things? Is not this the real source of most of our difficulties about a holy life? That we allow the unholy world to sweep in through all the avenues of our being and absorb all our attention until there is inevitable pollution and misery? The very first thing, therefore, for us to do is to close the hatches and keep out the billows, to close the shutters and exclude the objects that intrude themselves upon our gaze, to drop the eyelash and be kept as the apple of his eye from the seeing of evil. We can do all this, refuse to perceive and notice the evil around us. As you walk down the street, have you ever been conscious of, conscious of two forces, the one holding your attention to God in a spirit of quiet recollection and, the, and communion, and the other tempting you to look at everything on the street, to take in the glare of the shop windows and the busy crowds and the whole animated scene and, the, and many a picture of evil, which, if it does not defile, distracts you from the simplicity of your spirit? Have you ever felt, on glancing over your morning paper, a check upon your mind as your eye fell upon the glaring columns and a voice which seemed to hold you from absorbing with your eye all the reeking filth that literary scavengers had shoveled from the alleys and garrets of a wicked metropolis? And have you not felt, when you had read it, all saturated with uncleanness, even though you yourself had not any participation in these crimes, your thoughts had touched them and therefore were defiled. That's that's the late 1800s. He's writing in the late 1800s. Uh, today we have far more than just the shop windows on the street that we walk past and the uh, newspaper that we read. We have, you know, radio, television, movies, everything that's on the internet, Facebook, all kinds of media whereby uh, we can become. Uh, just like the world around us, or we have the opportunity to display our otherness, our holiness, where we are set apart uh, from the world toward God. Um, there's definitely a, a unique tension in holiness, because holiness is calling us to otherness, but it is not calling us out of the world. Uh, Apostle Paul's really specific on this. If, let's look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll go to chapter 5 uh, towards the end of 5, start in verse maybe 9. Um, he's talking about uh, sin in the church. He said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetousness or idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what I have to do with judging those who are, on the out, who are outside, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away the evil person from among yourselves. So this is a passage kind of about church discipline. What do you do with brothers and sisters in Christ who claim, I'm living for Christ. I want to be a part of the community of God but they clearly are living in violation to the commands of God. Paul's saying, don't have anything to do with those people. But he's not. But he's saying, have everything to do with people who are living in violation to the commands of God, who do not claim to be living for God. Have everything to do with those people. That's being part of the world. He doesn't want you to go out of the world, right? Then you would need to go out of the world. See that in verse 10. But there's a tension. We need to be in the world with those people who are immoral not following the commands of God, but we need to be in the world with them, displaying our holiness, our otherness, our orientation away from those things towards God before them. 
that's the whole idea of sanctification, holiness. Be holy for I am holy. Uh, drop my paper, but let's just see where we were. Yeah, so let's look at uh, Jesus talking about this in John 17. He's, he's very specifically is telling his disciples before he leaves uh, about how he, uh, uh, 17, do 14 through 18. He says, let's read what he says. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus is sending us as his disciples, as his followers, into the world. We are in the world, and he's, we're on mission in the world to be his people in the world. Um, and there's this interesting bit about the word of God sanctifying us, separating us out part as holy. And the thing that's interesting is uh, as Peter moves out of this section, this first section here on holiness, he, he, he moves to the, the how, basically. How on earth do you uh, uh, be in the world but not of the world? How are you, um, how we are called to be other, to be holy, to be different in the world. How do we do this? How do we not become corrupted by the world? And the next, the rest of that section we read, our text today, he's talking about how not to do that. And where he talks about that, he's majoring on the word of God, the word which is alive in us. It's a seed growing. It's the, our food that we eat, we eat, the milk we eat. He's majoring on that. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus is majoring on in this passage in John 17. He's saying um, that I have given them your word. He's saying, I have, he's saying, sanctify them by your word in verse 17 of John 4, 17. Sending them into the world to be holy, to be separate, sanctified by the word of God. The word of God is a major player in our being able to be in the world and yet be different from the world. It's our, it's our thing that is uh, sanctifying us and it is uh, safeguarding us. So, but, uh, Paul, uh, Peter gives several, um, that's how I got to get back to, uh, first Peter. I'm in John. And, oh, where am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm in Leviticus. All right. Here I am back in Peter. Be holy for I am holy. Right. But he gives prior to, uh, that he gives a few other reasons. Uh, first one we see in verse 17, if you call on the father who judges without partiality according to each one's conduct, conduct yourselves throughout your time and your stay here in fear. So you have this idea of proper uh, view of God. The fear of the Lord is going to help us to be other and different, and yet while we're in the world, to keep us from corruption in the world, having the fear of the Lord. And that is what the wisdom literature says it talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. We see that in uh, Psalm 111, 10, uh, Psalm 9, uh, Proverbs 9, 10, at the beginning in the introduction of Proverbs, we have this, this wisdom literature from the Old Testament, how the fear of the Lord is what gives us wisdom, the ability to live holy lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Um, <clears throat> but there's a, there's a, the, uh, that's the fear of the Lord. But then another factor is just what enables us to be holy in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation is the gospel. That's what, that's what he goes into in verses uh, 18 through 21. 
um, basically, um, he's saying in verse 18 how life without God was really bad and nothing this world offered fixed it. And then in, in verse 19, he says the only thing that fixed the horrors, the, the, the brokenness of life, is the blood of Christ. That's it. Um, and twenty verse 20 is talking about how that was God's plan throughout all time. You know, verse 21, we are saved by faith in Christ alone. And that kind of circles back to 13, um, <coughs> where, where he was talking about, if you look at, at uh, 13, gird up the loins of your mind, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's that grace of Christ, you see, in verse 21. That's it. Saved by that alone. Um, <coughs> and... Uh, our hope has to be rested on that, like we saw in verse 13, and not on anything else, not on the silver and the gold that he talked about in verse 18. We can't rest our hope on anything but the gospel. It's the work of Christ, the blood of Christ, that enables us to live a holy life in the midst of a corrupt, perverse world, uh, just like it is the fear of the Lord that gives us the wisdom to live the holy life. Um, <clears throat> and then if you move into 22 and onward, this is kind of the Word of God section. Uh, chapter 1, 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. I mean, obviously these divisions are somewhat arbitrary, but obviously more than one person recognizes this as texts, thought, divisions. I mean, even the, the, the headings and Bibles follow this because they seem to be the flow of thought. <clears throat> uh, so if you look, say, where we are, now we're in verse... Uh, 22. Um, so basically, we're trying to. We're, Peter's kind of answering the question that he put forward, the logical tension question: How do we <coughs> be <coughs> in a polluted and corrupt world and be holy in it at the same time? So, how do we be in this polluted, corrupt world and how do we be holy in it? And yes, we do it by fearing the Lord, verse 17. Yes, we do it by resting our hope fully in the gospel message, verses 18 through 21. And then starting verse 22, uh, we do it through the aid of the Spirit and the fellowship of the church. Um, now, depending on your translation, you won't see Spirit in verse 22 because it only is in the majority text. It's not in the critical text. So the majority text reads that we have been purified you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Uh, and that through the Spirit, part of purifying your souls, isn't in the critical text, only in the majority text. But um, <clears throat> in all the critical and the majority text, it, it is in verse 1 of this chapter, or verse 2, where you saw in verse 2, through the sanctification of the Spirit, that Trinity passage in verse 2, which we talked about in the last, uh, last time, was the sanctification, the being made holy, is through the Spirit. Sanctification of the Spirit in verse 1. And there you have, you're purified your souls in obeying the truth, verse 22, through the Spirit. So it's the Spirit who is involved in making us holy. It's the Spirit of God. So how do we, how are we able to be in the world and yet be holy? Well, we're able to do it because we have the Spirit of God uh, working in us, sanctifying us. Um, but it's not just the uh, Spirit uh, of God, it's also the fellowship of the church. It says, because uh, if you look at the second half of 22, it's talking about sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. It's talking about fellowship, loving fellowship with the uh, brothers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the church, fellowship of the church. 
is something that enables us to be in the world that is corrupt and perverse and yet to be holy in it, to not become like it. We are spurring one another on to good works. Uh, and if we were to uh, go down uh, to like... Uh, well, let's look at some... I was going to jump here to Philippians 2. Mine as well. Philippians 2, uh, 13. We see this. The, what is God, the Spirit of God doing in us? For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He's giving us, the Spirit of God is giving us um, the desire to be holy and the power to be holy. Uh, both the desire and the power to fulfill it. Um, so that's a piece of that. Uh, so let's go on to verses 23. I think 23 through 2-3 is basically all about the Word of God. So if you look at verse 23, we have the Word of God is alive. It's given us new life. It's given us rebirth. We're alive on the inside in a way that we never were before because the Word of God is growing inside of us. Um, it's interesting to note that there actually are two Greek words used in this passage for word. So word comes up... Uh, Four times, and in one twenty-three and two-two, the underlying Greek root is logos, and in one twenty-five, the underlying Greek root is rhema twice for a word of God. But basically, they both mean a concept, an idea, a thought, or or a word, uh, a, a literal one word or a spoken thing, a written thing. They're both they're both used to mean very much the same thing. Uh, more often, logos is referring to written things, but it's also often referring to spoken as well, also does. And more often, rhema is referring to spoken things, but it's also does used to refer to written. So they're not like, there's not like there's much difference. So it's interesting. You don't really know why the, why the writers are choosing to use one or the other or oscillating between the two, but it's just a fact that's worth noting. You don't see the difference in English, but it's there in Greek. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, Verses uh, 24 and 25 is, is a quote from Isaiah 40, uh, 6 through 9. Just And the quote's there basically to back up the claim that the Word of God uh, can't perish. So he's saying that the Word of God is living, it's alive, it's I imperishable, the imperishable Word. Some translations say incorruptible Word, uh, the, but imperishable is an alternate translation. And the quote is all about how the Word of God endures forever. It does not fail. Everything else fails. Glass, grass, flowers, everything. But the Word of God does not fail. So the, that quote there is, is to say, the Word of God doesn't fail. Can't fail. It's imperishable. It's backing up the claim Peter's making, and then Peter saying, and that Word that doesn't fail, that endures forever, that's the Word that's in you. That's the Word which was preached to you with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the Word that has given new life, has made you reborn. Um, and because we have that Word, if you go on to verse 1 of chapter 2, because of we're, we're, we're reborn by that word, we can lay aside all this other stuff, our former loss, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, all that old stuff, and we can grasp hold of new things. We can grow. We can be other. We can be holy by taking it, by doing what? Taking in the milk of the word. There we have the word. There is logos. Here, logos is an adjective form of logos. So, it, some uh, some translations will translate it as uh, metaphorical milk or reasonable milk. But uh, uh, New King James, King James, talk say milk of the word. 
Uh, but the idea is you're taking in the word, that's the same word that he's talking about, the word of God, the gospel that's been proclaimed to you, and, and it's making you grow on the inside. That, that seed that's alive, that's giving you rebirth, new birth, it's causing you to grow too, a living word. And in your growth, you're laying aside the old lust, you're becoming holy. You're able to have the desire and, and the power to be other and different in the midst of a crooked, cro crooked and perverse generation. That's the idea. Um, so uh, there's there's a there's a kind of a ver the last verse uh, three is kind of like a, a nod back to the Psalms where you have in Psalms uh, thirty four, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm thirty four eight he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, it doesn't say good, it says gracious. Um, it's actually really similar to uh, a passage in Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews, if we go to Hebrews 5, uh, we have uh, the end of Hebrews 5. He's talking about, like in verse 12 of Hebrews 5, he's talking about, uh, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. He's talking about taking in... Uh, milk and then if you go if you keep this passage goes on and on solid you know solid food belongs to uh, and then if you go keep going you get towards into chapter six towards the end you get verse five you'll see um and have tasted the good word of god and the powers of the age to come so it's talking about milk and tasting the word of god uh, in hebrews just like peter in first peter 2 is talking about milk and tasting the word of god that it's gracious that it's good that nod to Psalm 34, 8. So that's kind of the gist of the text. It is um, that we are called to be different. God has set apart his church, much like he set apart the nation of Israel in time past, to be different amid, in, in the midst of the world, to be other. And in that call it is um, the power to do it. He's given us the power to do it. He's given us uh, the ability to... <clears throat> To do it. And that's really our challenge for today. What's the application? The application of this passage is be holy. And how? With the fear of the Lord. Resting our hope fully on the gospel of Christ. Leaning on the Spirit's help in our weakness. By being built up by the church. By fellowship with each other. And by eating the word. Eating the word. Eating the word. His major point. He majors on the word. Uh, and so that's our challenge for the week. This is what I challenge, I'll challenge us with. If we are not meeting regularly, I think weekly is probably a minimum, but maybe bi-weekly, but definitely if we're not meeting regularly with another believer, then identify someone in our mind who we can meet with and reach out to them. If we are meeting regularly with another believer, commit or recommit to make that little bit of time we have with them about the word. Eat the word together. Eat it together prayerfully. Take it in. Allow the word to sanctify us, to make us different in the midst of the world that we live in. Thank you. Abba Father, we love you. We need you. And we ask, Lord God, that you would empower us to be different to be holy in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And Lord God, sanctify us by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining. Have a good week.